morning. Please be seated. If you're with us in the sanctuary, welcome. If you are joining with us back in the gymnasium, welcome. If you're joining with us worshiping at home, welcome. Uh, As has been the case since last March, every time we move inside, the the rain or whatever that drives us indoors, uh, we we tend to see a decline in worship numbers, and so we knew that was coming, and we recognize that many of you are just uncomfortable being inside right now and are joining us from at home, and so we're glad that you can be with us in whatever format is possible. One thing that I haven't said that I do want to say, I think it's important, uh, we, we certainly acknowledge and understand the challenges that COVID brings, but one thing that t- is important for us to hear, and it's important for people to know, is there has not been a recorded cases of transmission taking place in churches that have gathered for worship. Uh, there have been times when things like choirs have seen um, the spread of COVID. There have been situations where others that are in close quarters. That's the reason we've taken a pause on life groups again, because we just can't socially distance in our life group spaces. Uh, but just be encouraged that uh, there has not been uh, recorded cases of, of, of COVID break outbreaks taking place among those who are gathered for worship. And so we will continue to make that outdoor option available um, for uh, as long as we can, and especially minister to those of you that just can't be inside. But I just want to encourage you uh, that uh, there, there is, there is uh, I guess in COVID, we don't say there's safety in numbers, so maybe that's not the best way to say it. Um, but we have seen a, a situation where that has, has been safe. So we're glad that you can be here. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in the book of Leviticus chapter 10. If you're just joining with us for the first time, uh, let me just bring you up to speed. We are reading through the Bible together this year. I'm preaching through the Bible as we read through the Bible. So, and what I'm trying to do is preach forward looking. So you will read in the book of Leviticus this week. Um, this past week, you've been in the book of Exodus, and uh, you're going to move into the book of Leviticus. And so um, just to catch you up to where we are, right? We've seen a scenario where God, the creator, we talked about that in the beginning. God, that matters first and foremost. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So God existed. God not only existed, God is the creator. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then he created Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, of course, were set in God's perfect place. God's people in God's place under God's rule and provision. But Adam and Eve rejected God's perfect rule over their lives. Adam and Eve sinned. And as a result of that, God expelled them from the Garden of Eden. Uh, Upon that expulsion, Adam and Eve found themselves separated but God who is rich in mercy before he kicked them out of the garden he made this great promise to them and that great promise was that even though you have sinned and fallen short even though you've done all that you shouldn't do I will not allow you to live forever exiled from me there will come one who will crush the head of the serpent that is what we call the proto-evangelion the very first evangel that we find in all the word of God it's the picture that we get from God all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 that he would send a redeemer who would crush the serpent's head and bring his people to salvation we move from there and we see the story of Noah God of course um, protects and uh, and through the through Noah he 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 preserves for himself a people. The world had grown wicked. God preserves for himself a people. But even Noah and his people, after they come off the ark, uh, just a few generations later, are not doing as they're supposed to do. They're not being fruitful uh, and filling the earth as they were commanded. We saw how at Babel they were doing just the opposite of that. They were staying home and trying to hoard themselves up in a group. They were building a tower for their own glory. And God says that's not going to happen. If you won't disperse and fill the earth as I have commanded you, 
then I will make sure that that takes place. And so God uh, intervenes. God confuses the language. And from there, the people begin to spread out and cover the earth, which was God's original command all the way back in Genesis chapter 1. God's command repeated to Moses when they came off the ark. And when we as his people did not honor, God said, I will have my way. And God spreads the people. From there, we begin to trace God's people through the history of Abraham and Abraham's descendants. God, of course, makes a, 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 a proclamation, a promise to Abraham that he would multiply him as the sand uh, on the seashore or the stars in the skies and God does those things so we follow the progression of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and we find out that those are some pretty terrible people if you've read God's word right there's not a whole lot to commend in them except that God cared for them in the midst of their ugliness um, that God was faithful even though they're kind of terrible they should be really good encouragement to us because God did not walk back on his promise when they were unfaithful. So we, we follow that, of course. It is in, in that line that God brings his people into Egypt. And, uh, and, and the people of Egypt, to some degree, are sort of lost for about 400 years. But they're not lost, are they? God had told them that he was going to send them to occupy a place. God had told them to be fruitful and multiply. They had not done all those things, those things. So what does God do? God brings them to Egypt, and Egypt becomes an incubator for God's people. Uh, God's people then grow, and they grow and grow until such a time as one of Pharaoh's, uh, Pharaoh comes to power who had not known Joseph or his descendants. He sees the children of Israel. Uh, he enslaves them, but he also recognizes that they are a terror to deal with. So he does all he can to keep them under his thumb. But God hears the cries of his people. The Bible says, and God knew. We talked a bit about that last week, how when God knows, God knows in the biblical sense, and in fact, God knows everything. He knew their cries. He knew his power, and he knew exactly what he was going to do. And so God uses a man named Moses, and Moses rises up to power. He, he, he opposes Pharaoh. He speaks God's word to Pharaoh. God brings ten plagues upon Egypt, and in that moment, God accomplishes what could only be accomplished by God. Not only does Pharaoh finally let his people go, Pharaoh sends them out and fills their pockets along the way. And so this mixed multitude of probably a million people leave Egypt as God's people going into God's land where they will once again be under God's rule and God's blessing. You understand that what God has been doing since Genesis chapter 1 is trying to, trying to bring his people back to the place where he put them, which is his people under his rule and blessing in his place. And so they're going into the promised land, but of course they continue to play uh, unintelligent. They continue to do things that are not smart at all. Just this past Wednesday, we talked on Wednesday. Wednesday night, if you tuned in for the Bible study about how it was that they had this golden calf experience because they didn't do exactly what they wanted to do. And they continue to oppose God's things, but God's not finished with them. And so we find ourselves still in the wilderness as God has now brought his people to his place. Okay? And he's giving them these laws. Now, last Sunday we talked about how God's laws are not given to earn God's love, but instead the Ten Commandments begin with what? You, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. And so his laws are given not, I will be the Lord if you do these things. That's very different from I am the Lord, now live this way. This is God saying, welcome into my house. This is where you live now. Here are the rules, and this is how people will know that you belong to me. And in the midst of that, we find ourselves in the book of Leviticus, the story of God's Levitical priests. And we find ourselves with a warning about what it would look like to not take God seriously. And I urge you this morning with the title of this sermon, Don't Play With Fire. With all those things said, we come to Leviticus chapter 10. I'm going to ask you if you would to stand with me in honor of God's word. While you stand, I'm going to catch my breath. Whew, that was a lot. We're going to read Leviticus 10 verses 1 through 7. Now, Day, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. Now, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, 
Each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. And Moses called Mishael, Mishael and El, <clears throat> excuse me, Elzaphan, the sons of Uzael, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. So they came near and carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons, Do not let the hair of your heads hang loose. And do not tear your clothes, lest you die, and wrath come upon all the congregation. But let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning that the Lord has kindled. And do not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting, lest you die. For the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. Let's pray together. Father God, in an age of easy believism... Lord God, in an age that rejects much of your word, in an age, Lord God, when even we as your people are often tempted to twist and contort your word to fit our own fancy, Lord God, may we be reminded of the holiness of the Lord and the serious nature of worship. May we be changed and challenged, and may you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. The symptoms are terrible. Neglect of personal hygiene, dramatic changes in sleep habits, weight loss or gain, pronounced changes in mood such as increased anger, irritability, sadness or anxiety, withdrawal from usual routine or relationships, marital infidelity. No, these aren't COVID symptoms. They're not even symptoms of teenagers. These are symptoms of a midlife crisis. I turned 40 this week. I've been telling Angela for weeks that I'm planning a midlife crisis to coincide with my birthday. But sitting in the den last week, that was supposed to be funny and none of y'all laughed. Sitting in the den last week, um, I, I figured I needed strong information to convince her of this upcoming crisis in my life. So I, I looked up the symptoms of a midlife crisis. After a minute, I decided not only that I was not having a midlife crisis, but that I was not going to have a midlife crisis and I didn't want one. Mercy. Midlife crises often come about because people look back on their life. They feel like they've missed out on something. And and as a result, they need to put themselves first. So they ignore their responsibilities and focus on themselves. This morning, as we consider the question, why does worship matter? One important answer is that worship reminds us that life is is not centered on us. See, I don't have time for a midlife crisis because there's a lot more going on in the world than Craig Thompson. But if any of y'all want to buy me a puppy, that would be just fine. Thank you, Sloan. See, when we focus on ourselves, we can get everything out of whack. Just look at how things went terribly wrong in Leviticus chapter 10. When, when we get our priorities in order, however, when we put God first in our lives, we can function according to our designed purpose. So this morning I ask you, why does worship 
matter. First thing we see is that worship honors God. Worship honors God. First and foremost, we worship to ascribe to God His worth. We honor God with our worship. The word worship can be understood as worth-ship. We acknowledge God's worth. Now, Nadab and, and Abihu were struck, by the way, if I mix up some of these names this morning, I hope that y'all will forgive me and overlook it. I have struggled to keep them all in order. But Nadab and Abihu were struck dead because they offered what in the King James was called strange fire to the Lord. A, 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 an un, an unordained offering to the Lord. Now we don't know what this strange fire was. I've, I've looked it up this week. Spent some, nobody, the Bible doesn't tell us, right? So we don't know if it was green fire or red fire. The truth of the matter is it probably wasn't anything extravagant like that, okay? More likely than not, the only thing they had done is filled... The only thing, the only thing, because we all downplay it, don't we? I did it right there. Probably what they had done was to fill their censers. And what is a censer? That is just a, 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 if you can imagine it, if you don't know, just maybe a, a, a sort of globe on a chain. You might imagine it kind of like a giant, what are those things called? A little tea, teapot? What do you put the tea leaves in? What do you call that? A strainer? Strainer, there you go. Like a giant tea strainer. Wow, that was pretty terrible. Uh, if you could imagine on a chain and there in that, there would be um, coals or, or incense that's burning. Okay, um, and, and to offer it before the Lord, they were to take these hot coals from the sacrifice that they had offered. Probably what Nadab and Abihu had done is just not taken it from the sacrifice that was given and just pulled it from somewhere else. Now, we don't know. We don't know if they did it because they thought they had a better idea about how it should be done. We don't know if they thought that they needed to control the way that God was worshipped. Or if perhaps Nadab and Abihu were just lazy and said, it really doesn't matter. What we do know is that what they offered was not commanded by God. So whether it was um, in, a, in a reverent or irre irreverent way really doesn't matter. They decided that they could honor God in their own way. However, when they chose to worship God in their own way, they were struck dead. Not only were they struck dead, if we continue to read there, all the way down through verse 7, we see that their father and their brothers were instructed not to mourn their death. This passage of Scripture really speaks against the, and I put in quotations, the emotional truth that our modern era preaches First, we don't get to serve God in our own way. And that's important for us to understand. I don't get to create the rules. Um, we've all watched a lot of football this year, and we've been so grateful for that distraction from uh, the news, right? If we could just watch that instead of the news, it's so much better. But I think universally across the board, those of us that watch football have been frustrated with some of the targeting calls, haven't we? Now, it all depends, if we're just being honest, Upon, who, who receives the targeting call? And if your team gets the call, then it was, it was right. And if it goes against you, it was wrong. That's, but here's, here's what's been repeated over and over again. You don't have to like the call, but that's the rule. You don't have to like the call, but that's the rule. And they've got to play within the rules. Well, folks, that's a, uh, just a, an example from a worldly game. But just understand that when it comes to the worship of the Lord, we don't get to decide the rules. 
When it comes to living a life that honors the Lord, we don't get to decide the rules. He's given us the playbook. He's given us the rule book here. He has told us, not do these things so that I will love you, but instead, I love you. Now, this is how you shall live. The modern age doesn't respect the exclusive claims of Christianity, but God will be worshipped according to his own decrees. Period. You understand? Like, that, that's the end of the sentence. God will be worshipped according to his own dec- decrees, according to his own ways. We don't get to bargain with the Lord. The second thing that speaks sort of against this emotional truth of our modern era, we see because Aaron was told not to mourn the death of his sons. One commentator spoke of this as the inadequacy of Moses as a comforter for commanding that the sons not be mourned. But this misses the truth. Emotionally, this is terrible. And and the, the whole congregation of Israel, that is all the children of Israel were told to mourn these people. But to Aaron and to his other sons, they were told, don't let the hair of your head hang loose. Do not rip your clothes. Aaron, Eliezer, and Ithamar were still fulfilling their duties as priests. And the truth here is larger than grief. In this moment, Aaron and his other sons had to make a choice. Do you understand? Mourning the death of their brothers and of their son publicly was to communicate to the entire nation of Israel that their sympathies lied with those who had sinned against the Lord. To reject public mourning was to make a public affirmation to the people of Israel that God alone is worthy of worship and honor. Nobody is suggesting that this was easy. Now, even though their hearts undoubtedly broke for their son and their brothers, the priests had a public responsibility to honor the Lord, to show God's worth. Because worship of the Lord is not dependent upon my my emotions, my emotions, or on my particular state of life. Here in a tragic way, we are reminded that we can and must worship God even when, we might even say, especially when we don't feel like it. This week, the news cycle has been buzzing with stock prices of GameStop. It has soared to unbelievable heights with some people making millions of dollars and others losing millions, some places even billions of dollars. But regardless of which side of the GameStop equation you might find yourself on, everyone seems to agree on one thing. The company is not worth anything that approaches its stock value. Everybody seems to to agree with that, right? There's nothing in the company that supports it. It is an artificially inflated stock. But when it comes to our worship of God, the opposite is true. God is worth infinitely more than we can even understand or imagine. We can't artificially inflate God's stock. 
Instead, we're the short sellers who are constantly betting against his holiness and his glory. And all the while, he is appreciating in value. And when we worship, we ascribe to him his glory and his honor. How do we worship? We worship with our time, our talents, our treasures. When I honor God with my time, my talents, and my treasures, I say to the Lord that he is the giver of all good things and is worthy of all gifts that I give him in return. Because why? They all came from him. They all originate with what? With the Father of lights. This is the God that we serve. Worship honors God. The second thing we see this morning is that worship changes you. Worship changes you. And just so you know, when I say that, I've got to say it into the mirror as well, right? Worship changes you. One good thing about all these cameras is I see myself on the screen in the back, and I'm reminded that I'm preaching to Craig Thompson at the same time. Every kid's head in the place just did this right here. What? That's right, guys. If you're addicted to television, just turn around. You can watch me on TV. God said in Leviticus 10.3, Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. Now, in this instance, sanctify means to set apart or hold in reverence. And so it's, it's spoken to the priest. There's an implicit warning right here. I will be set apart. And again, period. Like it's important for us to get the grammar right here. When, God, when we say God will be set apart, there's not a, a comma or a semicolon or, or whatever. We don't put one, an, an, an M dash right there so that we can continue that on further. No, boom, I will. God will be set apart. Boom, why? Because he is set apart. You understand? So God says, I will be worshipped. Now, in this case, in the sentence there, it says, I will be set apart. Uh, excuse me. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, comma, and before all the people, I will be glorified. And then there's a period. There's no conversation. There's no discussion. But God says, I will be sanctified. Here it means to set apart or hold in reverence. Now, there's an implicit warning here when he says, I will be set apart. I will be sanctified. There's not an option, just a statement. Boom. This is what it's going to be. In this instance, those who are near him, in the Old Testament here, in the instance instance of, of Leviticus, are the priests who are in this particular situation being consecrated for their role. Right? And what is the role of the priest? To intervene for the sins of the people to the Lord. That's the role of the priest. They're being consecrated for this role of bearing the sin and the guilt of the people. And he says, I will be set apart, I will be sanctified by those who are near me. So, priests... You will honor me, period. God speaks strongly. Nadab and Abihu died because they didn't properly honor or set apart the Lord. But there is another application for this word sanctify. Sanctification is the process of us, of you and I, being made more like God. The Lord. Now, it's the same meaning, set apart, so it's the process of us being more and more set apart for God's service. Okay? Um, we got a Super Bowl coming up in about a week, and uh, what, what you'll find is that um, we've got two quarterbacks that are going to be competing, but you'll find a lot of times with these elite-level quarterbacks, they played a lot of sports. They grew up, and they might have played football and baseball and basketball and ran track and did all those things, uh, but there reaches a point in time in their life when all the other things begin to fall by the wayside and they begin to focus in one area because that's the area where they're going to excel. So as it were, to some degree, over time they're being sanctified. They're being set apart for the task that they have before them. 
You understand? So when we think about it being sanctified before the Lord, it's over time, as we grow closer to the Lord, many of the other extraneous things in our life begin to fall away and our focus begins to be consumed with God. So I will be sanctified, he says, but not only will he be sanctified, the more that we spend with him, we will be sanctified. Just consider for a moment how the act of worship, how this particular act of worship changed. You ready? Moses, Aaron, Eliezer, and Ithamar. Do you think that they remembered the moment that their nephew, their son, and their brothers offered strange fire before the Lord and were struck dead immediately? Do you think that they remembered the day? I mean, look, I can see Craig Thompson being unintelligent in this place and doing something like this, okay? I can see many of us doing that. We're ready to worship. We're ready to honor the Lord. We like fire in our house. We're kind of pyros. We enjoy it. We just had a, a, a big bonfire here at the church last week. as sort of an outdoor fellowship. And what do we have to do? We have to put away the lighter fluid because some of y'all think the bigger fire, the better. Right? We, how many of you here, when we threw that Christmas tree on last week, boy, that thing jumped up. Listen, one of the women in our church, she couldn't wait. She stood by and she clapped. She was so excited. She just watched it burn. Can we not imagine a scenario where we are called to offer fire before the Lord and we go, well, if a little fire's good, a big fire's better. God, I got a better idea. And I throw the Christmas tree on the altar, and instead of God being honored, the fire comes out and consumes me. You can imagine that maybe these other brothers are standing in the back going, that looks like a good idea. If God likes a little one, he'll certainly like a big fire. And instead, they're struck dead. Do you think in that moment that a father, an uncle, and two brothers were changed in that moment of worship? Do you think that that became a moment of worship that they will never, ever forget. Now listen, this is obviously one of the more dramatic examples of worship changing you. And it, it doesn't always, as a matter of fact, it doesn't usually happen in this way. It doesn't normally happen that there is one worship service that is dramatic and, and impactful and that just changes you forever. It does. There are some of those. I can point to a couple of those in my life, right? Where the Lord was just powerful. Instead, the change that worship brings to you is usually more gradual. The impact of gathering week after week, month after month, year after year. Instead, the change that worship brings to you comes as you devote your time to the Lord. And watch this, the change of devoting your time to the Lord brings about some pretty incredible things. When, when church becomes your excuse for missing everything else, rather than the thing you do when you have nothing else to do. I'm going to say that again. No, let me, let me change this to a sentence instead. Church should be your excuse for missing everything else. Okay? For all of us. Teenagers, church should be... Um, I'm going to stand on this platform just one more minute. Teenagers, church should be your excuse for missing everything else. But I want to speak most to parents and grandparents right here. Church should be the excuse for your family to miss everything else. Does this mean that there won't be a time 
a week, two weeks, three. There won't be times throughout the year when that family vacation or that big trip takes you away from the church. That's not what I'm saying. Not not getting into legalism here. But I, I, I do want you to hear me say, worship changes you. Parents, if you want your children to look like Jesus, regular worship had better be a part of your family's weekly diet because they will look like those things that you sacrifice for. And if your sacrifice is 75% given to make sure that you can be at every travel ball team and every dance competition and all this, if Sundays are set aside first and foremost for church, unless you've got something else to do, your children will learn this. Trust me, they will learn that everything else matters more than Jesus. Okay? It's easy for you to say because you're the pastor. Whatever. I'm telling you, you must make a decision about what matters most. Okay, so church should become, and when it becomes your excuse for missing everything else, you'll find that you begin to change. Because what happens is your commitment of time begins to reorient your heart and your passions. Some people are waiting to make church a priority until they have this sort of inner feeling. Well, when the Lord tells me to, then I will. It reminds me of one of the people that invaded the Capitol. I, the, 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 the quote just made me cringe. Well, I had prayed about it. And when I got there, God didn't stop me. So I went on in. I was like, y'all giving us a bad name. Somebody discipline this person. Y'all... If you've prayed about it and you think that the best place for you to be is somewhere other than regular worship, you might have prayed about it, but here's the problem. You had not read God's Word. Anyway, moving on. Regular worship changes you. It impacts you. Okay? And, and you will find that when you commit your time and your talents to the church, here's what's awesome. Your treasures begin to follow as well. I love to watch God sanctify people. Because when God sanctifies people, one of the most incredible things that happens is they become generous. Really generous. They become generous with their time. They become generous with their talents. They become generous with their treasures. It's amazing. When I know people who are close to Jesus, I don't worry when I call and ask them if they've got a minute. Because they do. Because they're generous with their time. When I need something worked on or we need something done here at the church, I don't feel guilty for calling them because when I call them, they say, I am happy to serve. I sat with one of our senior adults this week as we were trying to get some of these, these uh, Lord's Supper things taken out. We, we tried to get all of our homebound folks. We, I know we missed some this week, and I apologize for those of you who listened and didn't get from us. But uh, I was talking to one, and he said, Craig, I just I miss so much that I'm not right now able to give of my time to the church. You know what I told him? Seniors, I need y'all to prepare because y'all are getting your vaccines right now. I said, y'all got three months and then y'all on the hook. You got it? I said, we're going to give y'all a full year off, but then we need you. So he said, well, I'm ready. You know why he's ready? Because God's been at work in his life. He wants to give his time to God's church. So people become generous. And then (laughs) the best thing is when you see somebody that God's gotten a hold of, and then God's blessed them financially, and they start using words like this. I'm trying to figure out how I can give more away. And I just, whoa. It's really fun when you've known that person for like 15 years, and you remember when the only goal in their life was how much can I make. 
and then God changes it and it becomes how much can I give away and you go God you've done something right here but how does somebody ever get to that place regular worship time with the Lord he begins to gradually change your heart and then finally worship speaks to the world worship worship honors the Lord Worship changes you. And then finally, worship speaks to the world. Before all the people, God says, I will be glorified. That's right there in verse 3. The dead bodies of Nadab and Abihu were carried out of the tabernacle, out of the camp. Folks, this was not a private issue. The people learned that God deserved glory because of the failure of Nadab and Abihu, but also, you ready? also because of the faithful commitment of Aaron, Eleazar, and Ithamar. The people saw what failure brought about, but then the people saw godly leadership in front of them. I wonder if perhaps the people, maybe those who might have caught a glimpse of Aaron through the tent curtain, if perhaps they saw him standing there clothed with the priestly garments, offering the sacrifice with tears running down his eyes. If perhaps he rejected, as God told him, the, 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 the common practices of grieving. But in the midst of that, if his heart broke inside and he spoke with Job before him, though he slay me, yet will I worship. You remember the story of Job, don't you? He lost everything. Even his own wife had turned against him as he laid there mourning. And his wife said, honey, I can't watch this anymore. We tend to demonize this woman. We probably shouldn't demonize her. This is a woman watching her husband suffer. And her faith crumbles as she sees the suffering of her husband. And she says, curse God and die. He rises up there in sackcloth and ashes and says, naked I came and naked shall I go. Blessed. Be the name of the Lord. In our reading of Scripture, we don't get to Job for a little while, but chronologically, Job exists prior to this moment in Scripture. Oh, if perhaps the story of Job was fresh in the heart and the mind of Aaron. Though he slay me, yet will I praise him. And the people who saw that faithful commitment were changed. They were challenged. Folks, when you commit to the Lord regularly, when you worship him and give to his church, it speaks to the world. It speaks loudly. What do you say to the world when you set aside time every week to spend in regular worship to the Lord you say that this matters most what do you say to the Lord to the world when you give of your talents and they say you could just take on a part-time job and make some extra money you say but this matters most what do you say when you write a check every week 
every year and you give to the support of your church and somebody says why don't you just pay down your house or buy a bigger house or get that boat you've always wanted you say this matters most now if we're doing as the lord has told us most of us aren't giving in such a way that the world knows what we're giving right jesus says don't let your left hand know what your right's doing just tend to it and walk away the world doesn't need to know the reason we're not going to name buildings after anybody around this place okay uh, I'd, I'd love for you to give us a million dollar contribution but you will not get your name on a building because we want to encourage you in your sanctification um, but on the flip side we had one of our one of our members some years back that met with their financial advisor and uh, so this this person had just retired they met with their financial advisor and their financial advisor was helping them to structure um, their budget and, and everything else. And, um, and their, their financial advisor, they said, this is how much I'm going to give to my church. This is how much I'm going to give to this other mission. This is how much I'm going to give to this other ministry. Their financial advisor sat down with them and said, well, that doesn't make any sense why you would give away that much money. That's not smart. I'm going to tell you, that man was so proud when he talked. I don't know how much it was given or where it was going, but he was so proud when he looked at me and he said, he said he wasn't smart. He said, I told him, I didn't need his permission. I just needed the checks to be written. It doesn't make sense to a lot of people why we would do those things, does it? But when we begin to spend time with the Lord, private time in His Word, reading daily, those moments of private worship, and the public worship, and folks, if there's one thing that at times in evangelicalism we've really dropped the ball, and we've, we've so emphasized the private worship that we've neglected to emphasize the public worship. It's an expectation in God's Word that His people belong to a local gathering, that they are part of a fellowship of believers, where they sort of live their lives in close connection with one another. And it begins to change us. But it also begins to speak to the world. As they look and they wonder, why do you do that? Why do you spend so much time with those people? I'm in sort of a difficult spot as your pastor. Now, um, they, they, we speak of these things as pastors, and when pastors find themselves in a tough spot... One of the reasons often we, we talk about most people live their lives on sort of a three-legged stool, right? You've got your private life, or, or excuse me, you've got like your, your, your sort of family and friend life, you've got your work life, and then you sort of have your church life. And, and, and those things kind of keep you balanced. As a pastor, you tend to balance on one leg because your family, your church, and your, and your, your, your friends, they're all, they're all tied up in the same spot. Now, I'm very blessed because... I'm in a good place, right? It's a wide base for me here at Malvern Hill because um, of, of, of the, the great relationships that we have here. But I, I also just want to suggest to you that when we get church right, when we all get church right, there's a whole lot less three-legged stool and there's a whole lot more too. Because if your church life is far separated from your personal friend life, one of two things is wrong here. Either you're trying your best to keep your church life away from what happens in your personal life, okay? Or you've just not yet fallen in love with the people that you go to church with, right? There's just those, those things that need to take place. And that's what, how worship begins to speak to the world, in part. 
when they say, why are you always with these people? Is, do you care? Well, these are just my people. It's who we are. It's what we're about. We find ourselves identifying in the same place, and worship changes us. One of the greatest ways that worship speaks to the world is through the taking of the Lord's Supper. And we're going to transition to that here in just a moment. Uh, before we do, I just want to do me a favor. Um, you, were, you should have been given one of these little cups as you came in. Um, I asked Tom and um, somebody else over here, um, just one of my deacons, wherever anybody is, um, to stand up. Brian will. That's fine. If you didn't get one of these uh, communion cups, if you just slide your hand up and they'll get one to you. Um, this morning. But um, before we, we get into that, I, I want to talk just a moment about how this particular act of worship ties in with where we are in Leviticus and how it also honors the Lord, changes us, and speaks to the world. You see, the book of Leviticus was written many, many years before Jesus would die. Now, one of the things that I hope that's going to happen for you in the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy is you're going to grow ever more grateful for the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross because he fulfilled all of those laws for you and for me. But one of the things that happens as we come together in worship, in, in, in an act of worship, we observe the Lord's Supper. The Bible says that we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we sort of give this physical, visible statement to the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Here we speak not of the Aaronic priesthood who needed to learn to worship rightly, but instead of our great high priest who never offered strange fire, but who... Himself instead was offered on the altar for our sins. Here we speak not of the priesthood that needed to be changed, but instead of the great high priest who changed us. And you ready for this? And who is interceding on our behalf at the right hand of the Father today. Here we speak to the world. And we say to the world that there is something greater than this world has to offer. That the body of Jesus was broken and the blood of Jesus was spilled so that we might be saved. This morning I titled the sermon, Don't Play With Fire. You know, why don't we play with fire? Because we might get burned, right? But this cup reminds us of one who walked into the fire on our behalf so that we might not get burned. When God called me to ministry, he used uh, two chapters of Scripture in particular, Isaiah 42 and Isaiah 43. And in Isaiah 43, we are promised from the Lord that for his children, when we walk through the fire, we will not be burned. And we pass through the waters, they will not overwhelm us. It says, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. And that word finds its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. 
Who is the God of Israel who became Emmanuel, God with us? Who made his home among us so that we might be saved? See, the greatest act of worship that changes us is that act of worship whereby we fall before the Lord, confess our sins, and ask God to save us. Because in that moment, God is glorified. We are changed. And folks, the world hears us say, Christ is Lord. We're going to read through the Bible over the course of the next year. But in the midst of that reading, don't miss that it's all pointing to the cross. And the Savior who bled and died on our behalf. So this morning, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper as a reminder, a remembrance of Jesus' death on our behalf. Because the priesthood that we've read about this morning was pointing to a better high priest. And the sacrifices that we read about this morning were pointing to a better and more perfect sacrifice. And the worship that we are called to this morning is a result of one who alone is worthy of all worship and honor and praise. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians, and we're going to talk about the, 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 the pastor's script that speaks to the Lord's Supper, but just a few instructions before we do. Again, these have become our COVID experiences with these cups. They're a little bit aggravating, but if you um, will notice there on the top, there's a piece of cellophane that you'll peel back, and you will have the, the bread exposed, and then you'll peel the, the foil back to have the, the juice exposed this morning. Um, but as we make this transition, I'm going to read to you the words of the Apostle Paul. Now, maybe you didn't know, but the reason that we read Paul's words in 1 Corinthians about the Lord's Supper is because this is the earliest written record we have of what took place on that night. This record is actually earlier even than the Gospel accounts. And so we, we go to this place and we read. Now, this morning before I read, I just want to remind you that the Lord's Supper is reserved for those who are followers of Jesus Christ. If you've gathered with us this morning and you don't know Christ, I would urge you this morning, don't play with fire as it relates to the Lord's Supper. Today, if you don't know Jesus, please refrain from taking the Lord's Supper and instead take Jesus. Today can be the day of your salvation. And I would love to speak with you about what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. If you're at home with us today, watching online, and, and, and perhaps you don't know the Lord, and you wonder about this strange practice of taking the, the, the bread as a reminder of, of, of the broken body of Jesus and of, of the cup as a reminder of the shed blood. Would you please reach out to us? Because we want you to understand that this body was broken for you and his blood was shed for you and me, that we might have forgiveness of our sins and spend eternity with him. But having said that this morning, I want to read to you Paul's words, beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. The Bible says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. Pray with me this morning as we give thanks. Lord God, we thank you for this memorial meal that reminds us of the broken body of our Savior who hung on a cross to save us from our sin. Lord God, to even redeem us from terrible sins such as those committed by Nadab and Abihu. For, Lord God, the sacrifice of Jesus is sufficient to cover all the sins of mankind. Thank you that Jesus was willing to be broken on our behalf. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Bible says that Jesus said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then if you just peel back that little foil. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We proclaim Christ's death through this simple act. It's appropriate that we would conclude our message this morning with the Lord's Supper. Because if we're just honest, if we're just honest, not Sunday school honest, not spiritual honest, just worldly, earthly, fleshly honest. This seems like a ridiculous way to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet, it's not our choice, is it? The Bible says that when we do this, we proclaim his death until he comes. If you're here this morning and you've never known the Lord Jesus as your Savior. If you're here this morning and you've been playing with fire for far too long. I want you to know that today can be the day of your salvation. But perhaps you're here this morning and you know Jesus. Perhaps you're here this morning and you have known Jesus for quite some time. But truth be told... You've been playing with fire anyway. For you've not worshipped Him according to His Word. You've not honored Him according to His Word. Somewhere along the way, you decided you knew a little bit better than Jesus. Knew a little bit better than God's Word. And you've begun to explain away the parts that are just inconvenient or uncomfortable. And you find yourself living not a life, but a lie. Showing up at church when it's convenient, or maybe even regularly. But not giving your heart totally to worship. Not allowing the Lord to change you. And as a result, you find yourself living throughout the week. As though God's word does not apply. Perhaps this morning you're just here struggling. Maybe like Aaron, you find yourself grieving. But not sure how to grieve. However it is that you may be struggling this morning, living, dealing, whatever it is you might be dealing with, I just want you to know that we would love to pray with you. This altar will be open. If you'd like to come up and pray this morning, we'd invite you. If you're in the back, Pastor Adam will be back there. He'd be happy to pray with you. However it is that we may serve, you want to do that. If you're at home, I want you to know we are thankful for this sanctuary in which we are gathered to worship. And we've set it aside as a sacred space for the worship of the King, but... Your couch can be a sacred place today. Your kitchen table can be a sacred place. For there God will meet with you. He will hear you. He'll change you. This morning as we stand to sing.
Would you allow the Lord to work in your life? Pray with me. Father God, I am so grateful for the love of Jesus Christ, for the hope that we have in Him, for His broken body and His shed blood, Lord God, for a sinner such as me. Father, I pray that you would guard our hearts from the sin of Nadab and Abihu. Lord, get, Lord God, direct our gaze, our attention, our focus, our love, our lives towards you. Change us through worship, Lord God, and speak to the world as we live our lives in worship towards you. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us this morning as we sing Christ is risen.